Our scripture reading this morning will come from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 to 3 through 5. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. It's not hard to think of modern-day false teachers. There's plenty of folks out there that are preaching prosperity gospels of health and wealth, not just preaching it, but trying to actively live that themselves. You see it as they fly around the country on their private jets before they go home to their lavish houses. You see it in the designer clothes that they wear, the celebrities that they rub elbows with. They are folks who tend to draw very large crowds, folks that are hungry for that sort of gospel, as these teachers themselves are hungry for attention. As many crowds that they can get in their auditoriums, as many followers as they can get on social media, though we often see that folks like that are dogged by scandal, folks that often get caught up in all sorts of things that aren't becoming of people who are supposed to be following Jesus. Of course, we don't just see what Paul describes here in 1 Timothy 6 among religious folks. I see a lot with our politicians in our country as well, too. There are plenty of people who will stand up in front of a crowd and will profess to share our faith, but mostly because they want our donations, mostly because they want our votes. They see godliness as a means of gain. They'll say that they fight for traditional family values while they engage in all sorts of affairs. They'll profess to fight for the Judeo-Christian foundation of this country, while some of those same pro-life politicians will have their secret girlfriends go have abortions when they become pregnant. If you know the Bible, it's not terribly hard to spot people that are teaching falsehood. But it's important for us to realize that it's not just a them thing. Because if we're not careful, we can have unhealthy cravings for controversy. If we're not careful, we can quarrel about words. I don't know about you, but growing up in the church, I sat in those Bible classes where a brother over here and a sister over there and a brother over here are having a heated debate about something. And most of us are just terribly uncomfortable. And we get to the end of the class and wonder, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with all of this. But those folks seem to feel real strongly about it. And not just theologically. We can even see that among family members. You know that member of your family who just seems to always be looking for a fight. It's like it doesn't matter what you say, you know it's probably going to turn into an argument. Now, of course, you don't see it that way when it's you. When you're the person in the Bible class, when you're the person at the dinner table that's like that, well, you're just standing for what's right. 
You're the lone voice that's not afraid to say what needs to be said. But you can test if you're really doing what God wants by looking at the results. Is that stand you're taking? Is that approach that you're using producing jealousy? Division? People talking bad about each other? Is your approach causing people to be suspicious and mistrustful of each other? Well, some people have been saying, I don't know if you've heard that before. Are we stirring constant <coughs> If so, we have a problem. Because people of hope, people who've truly been trained in the healthy words of Jesus, don't produce that. They produce godliness. And that, which means being more like God. That's not something that stops at believing the right thing with a book, chapter, and verse to back it up. It means being like God all the way down to our motivations for what we say and do. It's seeing that our greatest possible gain in life are to be people that truly please Him. Just look at how the Apostle Paul continues to address this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, continuing in verse 6, where Paul says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we did not take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But Godliness with contentment is great gain. Let that sink in. From the moment you were born until the day that you die, the most important thing for you to get out of life is that you become more like God and be content. That's what God says. If you have a relationship with Him, if you have food, if you have clothes, you're good. That's what God says. That's not what the world says. The world says you need more. You need more than you have right now. You need more 
than someone else has. You need bigger. You need newer. You need better. The world says that it's actually getting what you want that makes you the winner. It's when you get what you want that it shows your worth, your value. It says that anyone who stands in between you and getting what you want is the enemy. And the problem is sometimes even as Christians, we believe that. Because why else do we have situations where Christian spouses are hiding their purchases from their loved ones? And why is it we have situations where Christian spouses are harshly, demeaning, yelling at their significant other for purchases? Why is it that there are Christian siblings that stop talking to each other after the will is read? Why are there Christian leaders who quit perfectly good jobs where the wages are fair, their relationships are good, their work is meaningful because they're upset that they got passed over for a promotion? The job they had is a title that they applied for. The job that they had was one where they were so thankful when they got that salary, but eventually that's just not good enough. After a while, we're just no longer satisfied. We convince ourselves that we deserve more, that we need more. We believe the lie that if we only had X, Y, or Z, that would make everything better. And once we set our minds on that, we have this tendency to do whatever it takes to get there. But that desire to be rich It's a snare into many senseless and harmful desires because we chase those greener pastures. We believe that a new environment will suddenly have what we need to make us happier. But then we get shocked to find out that, guess what? People are people at this other place, too. We go into debt on things that we're still paying interest on long after we even remember what it was that we bought to begin with. We act like things or credit or money will solve all of our problems when really finances are the number one cause of marital fights. After infidelity, they're one of the leading causes of divorce. Families become estranged over money. Churches split over it. Parents sacrifice years of opportunities to make a real difference in their children's lives because they are too busy making money. It's senseless, it's harmful, and it plunges people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. And when that is what we crave, we wander away from the faith. And it's not that we stop believing Jesus is God's Son. It's not that we forget all of the scripture we've ever studied. Nor is it that it's a sin to be rich. As though there's some income brackets that are okay, but the minute you reach this income bracket, it is now wrong. No, the issue is that Christ is not who we're most loyal to. That godliness is not actually what matters the most 
to us. Because frankly, we can go days without even thinking about Jesus. He's not why we wake up or go to work. We make major life decisions about our relationships, about our education, about our careers, and he's not even a factor in them. Our thoughts and our feelings, our priorities and our sense of value don't come from our relationship with him because we're actually relying on something else. The words that we speak and the fights that we have, they don't produce what he wants because they're really about what we want. And to have hope, that has to change. In 1 Timothy 6 and verse 11, Paul continues, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things. And of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, who no one has ever seen or can see to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. If you aspire to be a follower of Jesus, you have to acknowledge the direction he's leading you is the opposite. It is the other direction from what often comes natural to us. We have to flee what we see in the world. Sometimes we have to flee the way we were brought up. Because if we're going to be a follower of Jesus, it's not just about living for what we want. So if you want to be a man or woman of God, how do you decide whether or not it's time to buy that new car or that new house? Jesus. How do you decide whether you enroll your kids in the local public school or pony up the money to put them in private school or maybe make the sacrifice to homeschool? Jesus. What's the most important consideration in if you go to college? What's the most important consideration in where you go to college? Jesus. How do you decide who to date and ultimately who to marry? Whether you sign up your kids for that sports team or whether you take the plunge to start your own business. How do you decide whether or not you treat it aggressively or you go ahead and start palliative care? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And here's what that looks like. I don't just decide based on how I feel or what I want. I don't decide based on what pays the most or who gives me the best offer. We count the costs 
opportunities to serve him that I don't have right now. Because maybe I can't afford to take out that loan. It seems good now, but maybe I won't actually be able to keep that commitment. Maybe those interest payments are going to end up becoming a source of anxiety or they're going to box me in and keep me from being able to do good in the future. Or yeah, maybe that job does pay better. Maybe it pays a lot better. But what is it going to cost me in terms of time away from my family? How many assemblies to worship God am I going to have to miss to do it? Because that matters. That matters more. Because as a man or woman of God, you are called to pursue righteousness. Anything that you agree to, any money or time that you spend, you do it chasing after a right relationship with God. Your main motivation is having the best relationship with God that you can possibly have. The decisions that you make are pursuing godliness. All of those choices, those actions, those words that you speak are done in order to be more like him. And what is God like? Well, he's merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Some of our controversies, some of our quarrelsome words, some of our motivations, things that we're chasing after, they don't look like that. They don't sound like that. They don't feel like that. So if we know who God is, if that's truly what we're pursuing, then that's what we've got to chase after. We pursue faith. Where that's not just why I believe these things, but I have total trust, full reliance, undivided loyalty to Jesus. We're pursuing love. That's self-sacrificing action. Surely for the good of someone else, we're steadfast. Our commitments don't change based on our feelings or our circumstances. We're gentle. Instead of picking fights that produce jealousy, division, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction, we listen. We care. Instead of trying to show people why they're wrong, we try to meet them where they are. To understand. To help. Instead of quarreling about words, we fight the good fight of faith. And that's different. Because that's not about what we want. It's about what Jesus wants. Not using Jesus to get what we want. Not twisting scripture to try to win our arguments and get our ways. 
but it's really believing that if we're where he wants us to be, it will be great gain. And if you make that good confession, that you believe Jesus is God's Son, if you call him Lord, if you are someone who has already decided to turn away from sin and repentance, somebody who has already been buried with him in the waters of baptism, fully submitting yourself to him, being joined to him, starting a new life for him, then you've already made that commitment. Now it's time for you to take hold of eternal life. That life that's with, that life that's like God, because we can never approach him otherwise. But if you're a Christian, you get to live in his presence. And that challenges us to keep his commandments. We don't make him share our loyalty with anything else, because he is the one who gives life to all things. He is the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings and the lord of lords. And he is a king who is coming back. He will appear. He could appear today. He could appear tomorrow. It could be next week or it could be next year. We don't know. But we will be ready if each day of our lives we're pursuing righteousness. If being like him is our greatest aim each day. Even and especially if we're rich. Because in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17, Paul says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradiction of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. You know, the simple fact is the more we have, the easier it is to get distracted, to start thinking that we earned this, that we deserve this, but we can't get arrogant, and we can't set our hope on that because riches are so uncertain. <laughs> Bubbles burst, banks fail, markets crash, economies recede, companies Lay off, they furlough, they reduce salaries. So don't say that, well, once I get my next raise, things will change. Don't say, well, once I've retired, I'll be able to do this or that for God. Set your hope on God right now. Look for what he has already provided you right now. Humbly thank him for it. And then start using it for his glory. Because this passage isn't made to make you feel guilty about buying a new car, Lewis, or a bigger house. <laughs> because he was sitting there feeling guilty right now. <laughs> because this passage also tells us 
God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Did you know that? God actually wants us to enjoy ourselves. Part of his motivation when he first created everything and he made it so good was because he wants us to enjoy ourselves. We just can't start worshiping it instead of him. We can't be bowing to it when we're supposed to rule over it, when we're supposed to use it to bring his glory into the world. So, crunch the numbers, do the research, and buy the car, but thank God for it. Stick a decal praising Jesus on it. Use it to give a ride to somebody who can't afford it, who can't pay you back. Buy the house and host the demos. Use it to serve the meals. Invite somebody to come over and do their laundry there. Offer that spare room to a visiting missionary or a fellow Christian. Do good. Be rich in good works. Be generous and ready to share. That is a completely different perspective than just the more, more, more of the world. That is godliness with contentment that gives us truly great gain. And oh, by the way, that applies to all of us. Because did you know that if you work full time making $12 an hour, did you know if what you get as income each month is whatever the average social security check is, that that actually makes you one of the top 10% of the richest people in the world? 12 bucks an hour full time in our country? Social security check each month. Even after taxes, you make more money than 90% of this world's population. Now, it probably doesn't feel that way. You know lots of people that have nicer stuff than you do. You don't have the biggest, the newest, the best. You probably made some mistakes. Things that you can look back on and wish you had handled the money differently. You probably are sitting here today and you really do struggle with those bills. You're looking at the balance and you're looking at the electric bill and the mortgage or the rent and the cost for the kids or the grandkids that you're going to take care of and you're not sure how you're going to get all those needs met. You might be here today and you really do worry about money. Maybe even your family is a family that's having fights over that money. But think of the millions. Think of the billions of people in this world that are going hungry. Think about the people that don't have access at all to clean water or indoor plumbing. You, right now, are rich. But that means that even if I wanted to, I can't stand up here and tell you, just come to church, just make your contribution, just volunteer for BBS, and God will bless you with health and wealth. Because frankly, it kind of looks like he already has. 
Because whatever problems, financial, health, or otherwise, you're here. Whatever you don't have, there's so much that you do. And that is something that God richly provides. So set your hope on him. Make being right with him, being more like him, your sole pursuit. Whatever you do with your time, whatever you do with your money, whatever you do with your talents, with the words that you speak, with the battles that you choose to fight, make sure that he is truly your motivation and make sure that it is producing what he wants produced. Because when that is true, you're going to have a really good foundation for the future. You're going to be taking hold of that which is truly life. Just by being here, it's pretty obvious to me at least that a great deposit has already been entrusted to you. So guard it. Don't let anyone make you swerve. And if you haven't received Today would be a great day to change directions. Today would be a great day to name Jesus as your Lord, to repent of your sins, to be buried with him in baptism, to start that new life where he is your sole pursuit. Grace be with you.